0: Good morning, morning. everybody 's just oh deserts that 's my favorite thing, right? Hey, uh, a couple of things before I jump into the message, I uh, just want to share um, while I was gone, some more money came in for the all in offering our all in offering total now is two hundred and seven thousand eight hundred and sixty dollars, which really, really cool. Some of you may, go on, may be going, what's that about? We did a special offering in May and uh, and that has all gone to help eliminate debt so that we can minister more quickly and more effectively and more broadly uh, here in mid-Michigan around the world. We're jazzed about that. Um, I, again, before I jump in the message, I, I just want to say uh, we have a great staff at North Point. I, I probably don't say that enough from up here. It's it's a pretty incredible thing to be able to be gone for four weeks in a row and um, and have God just keep doing his stuff and not miss a beat. And so I am grateful, so grateful for, for Amy and Chris and Jake and um, Janet and now Jesse, uh, f- uh, for our family life uh, team. Uh, just uh, it's, it's a cool thing and I- I'm grateful for them. Uh, I'm especially grateful for the messages that Jake preached. Uh, you know, it was cool to, to watch Mark Whitaker four weeks ago and hear his story here at North Point. That was cool. But then to watch Jake's messages. While we were gone, we were, in a, we were on a trip to Alaska, and um, and uh, virtually every day I'm thinking, oh man, I wonder what's happening with the mountains Series because everywhere there were mountains. You know, on the ship, when we went uh, on the land, it, um, God's Creative ability is incredible, and um, and his hand at work is is just really cool. So um, I'm I'm grateful for those guys. We start a new series this week on on the back end of the mountain series called Deserts. Um, uh, like I said, everybody says, "Oh yeah, deserts, woo, uh, good stuff." Yeah, great. Um, deserts are are bleak, right? they they are not. There. I was going to say they're not much fun. They're a cool thing to experience if you go there intentionally for a short period of time, right? When you go to the desert, there it, there really is this sense of, this is awesome. This is this is really pretty incredible. Um, and then you leave and go back to um, where there's vegetation, right? Uh, you experience that and, and you're grateful for that. To land in a desert unintentionally and to be stuck there, it's not a pleasant thing, right? Yeah, it's, it's bleak, it's stark, it's dry, um, it's lonely, um, it, it, it can overwhelm you. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about deserts. Uh, today, uh, we're, I just kind of want to do an overview of, of kind of a, I th- what I think is a biblical perspective about deserts in our lives, um, in the Bible, though, the word that's often translated "desert" uh, in other translations is translated "wilderness." And, uh, and just as a foundational thought, let me let me just share this: when you read in the Scripture that Jesus went out into the wilderness, or somebody went out into the wilderness, it really is the, the same word as "desert" because there are different kinds of deserts. I I, uh, I I found out this week that there are there are polar deserts. There's deserts on Arctic in the Arctic Circle and on Antarctica. There are subtropical deserts. Those are the ones that we think the most of, the Sahara Desert, the uh, Mojave Desert. Those are the ones with the sand and the heat and all that kind of stuff. There are cold winter deserts in Greenland and China. There are cool coastal deserts in Africa and Chile. Um, Deserts are areas, uh, geographical areas, where less than 10 inches of water a year falls, okay? So it's arid, not not much life-giving stuff that's there. Um, And deserts exist on all the continents in the world. Interestingly enough, deserts make up about 10% of the surface area of the earth. Um, I didn't didn't realize that. Um, About a third of the land um, uh, uh, on earth is is deserts. In the Bible, when we read about wilderness, about deserts, um, again, we tend to think, oh, it's like the Sahara. But if you've been to the Holy Land, you'll know that that area really is wilderness. It's, there's, there's not a lot of rain there. Um, the wind blows, and it blows lots of the dirt away. And so it's just kind of this rocky soil where not much grows. In the area around Galilee, where Jesus taught, there, were, there are not a lot of trees there. It's, it's a pretty barren desolate kind of space. It's it's not surprising that the Bible talks a lot about deserts and about people's interactions with deserts. Let me just give you kind of a quick overview as we get started today. Um, There are a number of people who experienced life in the desert. Joseph in the Old Testament was sold by his brothers into slavery and taken to Egypt to the desert. Right, and there he underwent lots of life change that happened there. Um, there, up on the screen, there's going to be a number of, of uh, places that are there. These are in the app notes as well. Feel free this afternoon to go home and kind of read through these scriptures. We're not gonna we're not gonna dive deep into them. Moses uh, is in Egypt. 400 years after Joseph, and, and Moses grows up in Pharaoh's palace. So he's the most powerful guy. He kills uh, a guy and, and, and then ultimately leaves and flees Egypt and goes to the desert of Midian. And for 40 years out in the desert, he is a shepherd just out taking the sheep out in the in the wilderness, Moses experienced the desert. Um, that desert ground for Moses was preparation for him to lead a nation of somewhere between two and four million people out of Egypt and out of slavery. The nation of Israel experienced desert wilderness for forty years, forty years that 's a long time to be wandering around out where there's not a lot of water, not a lot of stuff. And they, they discovered in that time God's hand, God's provision for them. David, King David, goes from herding sheep in the wilderness area to being anointed king to hiding in caves in the desert from Saul as Saul's ready to, to, uh, uh, to take his life. David experienced times in the desert. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Psalm 63 where David says, Um, I I, I long for you, God, like, uh, like someone in a dry and weary land in the desert. My soul calls out to you, God. Psalm 63, the first few verses there. Um, The Apostle Paul, this is not a passage that we preach about very often, it's not not something we talk about, but in Galatians in in, uh, chapter 1, Paul talks about when he's converted, he spends three years in the deserts of Arabia being taught by the Holy Spirit about Jesus. Saul had been to all the finest universities. He had all the knowledge of, about Old Testament history, who God was. But for three years, Saul hangs out in the desert with the Holy Spirit, helping him understand who Jesus was and what God was doing through the Old Testament. And Jesus experienced a lot of time in the wilderness and in the desert. Um, again, there's, there's lots of scripture there. And I'm, these scriptures I'm not going to put up on... Um, on, on screen, but I want you to take a look at these, particularly if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew 4 and just look at something that's really interesting there. Jesus is baptized. He enters into his ministry. He's baptized, and at his baptism, a holy, uh, a dove comes down and lights on him, and God's voice says, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Big, big deal, right? Lots of celebration. That, that's like way big stuff. And, and Matthew 4, Verse 1 says this, Then Jesus, led by the Holy Spirit, into, uh, was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus went to the desert led by God's Spirit. When, when you look down through the rest of those verses, it's consistent that Jesus, over and over again, would go to the wilderness to have time alone. He would go to the desert to be away Uh, From all the people, all the throngs, all the needs that were there. Jesus saw the need for the desert. But that's... um, uh, Well, uh, understand this. If you're serious about being a disciple of Jesus, a desert experience will be normal for you. A desert experience will be normal for the disciple of Jesus. I know... I. Coming into this series, I've been, I've been praying about this and thinking of you guys and just thinking about me, and we don't like the desert, do we? No, nobody likes to live in a desert time, but a desert experience is normal for someone who's going to be a follower of Jesus. That's going to be a normal part of our lives. Um, Many of you know kind of our my family's history. We've been we've served in six different churches, and uh, in um, in 1985 we moved to Maryland to a great little church that's, that's about 12 miles north of the capital. Uh, the senior pastor there became a great friend and mentor to me. We were there for 12 years. Um, four of our six kids were born there. It was a great place to grow as a person, as a minister, as a family. And in 1997, when we left the suburbs of Washington, D.C., and moved to southwest Missouri, to not just Joplin, Missouri, but to... The suburbs of Joplin to Web City, and not just the suburbs, uh, not just Web City, but to the suburbs. We moved to Oronogo, um, Missouri. Um, it, w- it was a very difficult time for us. For our family, we had lived in kind of the lush valley of God's goodness. The church had surrounded us. Our kids had grown up there. They knew what it was to be loved and to have lots of extended family, even though we lived 500 miles away from, from our, um, our blood family. When we moved to Missouri, we didn't know, we didn't know a soul, and, um, and for the next four years, we tried to connect with churches, but it's a weird thing for a minister to go to a church and just be a part of a church. Nobody knows what to do with you, and it's a weird thing for a minister to go to a church because he doesn't know what to do if he's not on staff. It was hard. That corner of southwest Missouri, um, everybody knew each other. They had been born there. They had, grown to, uh, they had gone to elementary school together, to, to high school together, to college together. They had settled down together. And so it was, it was a very difficult time for us to make connections relationally with people. Deb would describe those four years from 1997 to 2001 for us as our desert years. Have you have you been to that place before in your life? Not, not to Southwest Missouri, but um, <laughs> have you lived out that time, maybe multiple times when you just felt all alone, abandoned by God, just kind of doing your thing and trying to figure out how to make progress. When we find ourselves in the desert, we ask some questions. Our, our automatic uh, uh, process, the way that we think through things is, is is we think, oh, if I'm in the desert, what? God's got to be mad at me. Why would he put me in this place? Why would why would he have me here? God must be angry with me. Uh, sometimes we think, I, you know what, I'm, I'm here obviously because I sinned, I messed up. I should not be here that it's because of sin in my life. Sometimes we land someplace and we think, you know what, I missed God. I... I God had to have said, go right, and I went left. And so I landed in this desert completely because I missed God. And sometimes we land in the desert and we think, you know what? I think God's just abandoned me. He has just let me go, and he doesn't know where I am anymore. All those things are interesting because they put the focus really on us. You know what? God's mad at me. I messed up. I missed God's leading. When I think that, that when we look in Scripture at people's experience in the desert, there's something that's much deeper there for us to grab hold of. And that, that God has a bigger plan um, in place. I... Um, I want to take some time and just ask the question. I want to encourage you to take a step back. I, I know, I know lots of you are in desert times now because of the conversations that we have. I know sometimes because I can just see it in your eyes. I, I've been there and I recognize that. Um, and, and so if you're in a desert time, this is, this is one of the hardest things to do to get perspective. But I want to just encourage you today to take a step back and to look and say, why is it that God would allow me to be in a desert? Why would he allow me to live in a place that is so bleak, so stark, so alone? So different than what I want. Um, I'm, I want to give you six thoughts on that. And, and I want you to just kind of really chew on those today. Maybe in the next week in preparation for next week's message. Um, the first reason why God might allow us to live in a desert is because we're being punished. That sounds really harsh, doesn't it? Um, that's not what we want to hear. And yet, when you read scripture, that's one of the reasons why people ended up in the desert. The children of Israel were in the desert for 40 years because they were being punished for their lack of faithfulness to God, because of their inability to trust God at His word. You may be in a desert because you're fooling around with a wrong kind of relationship. You have a relationship with somebody that's not your spouse. And your, and your life is blowing up because of the choices that you're making. Understand that if you're in that desert, it's because God is, is giving punishment to get you to change, to turn your life around. It may be that you're a gossip, and that you're all the time stirring stuff up, and you're pitting one family member against another. And, and all of a sudden you wake up in your desert because everybody, everybody is fighting with each other, and you're isolated from everybody. Sometimes we're in the desert because God needs to punish us and help us understand. When that happens, what do we do? We need to turn around. We need to change. We need to repent and come back to him. We need to quit doing what we've been doing and go back to him. Maybe, maybe you've been taking shortcuts at work. Maybe you've been cheating your clients, maybe you've been falsifying reports, maybe you've been doing stuff that you know is not consistent with a follower of Jesus. And when you go into work, stuff's blown up and you feel like it, that you don't know how you can live. Understand that God is a just God and that there's penalty for our sin. Sometimes it's short term, sometimes it's, it's uh, much later. But understand that sometimes we find ourselves in the desert and the way, that, the way we need to get out of the desert is to repent and turn back to God and begin to live the way that he has called us to live. Um, that's the heavy part. The next five are the good ones, all right? Uh, there, there's, there's joy in this in the desert. Um, uh, why would God allow me to live in the desert? Um, this is a really interesting one that as I was studying, I thought, good night, i never thought of that before. Sometimes we're in the desert because of somebody else's sin. Someone else has done something and carried us into this desert place and we've been deposited there. That may be a family member, it may be uh, somebody that you love, uh, who knows. Here's how I know that that's true. For 40 years, the nation of Israel is out uh, wandering in the wilderness, right? Joshua and Caleb were two of the 12 spies that said, yes, we need to go into the promised land. God is going to deliver those people to us. God's going to allow us to come in and take over this land that he has promised to us. It's going to be great. And the nation of Israel all said, uh, no, we can't do that. Because the other ten said, those those people that live there, they're too big. We can never conquer them. Joshua and Caleb, for 40 years, were in the desert with the nation of Israel, even though they hadn't done anything wrong. Sometimes we end up in the desert Because we're just carried there because of somebody else's sin. Sometimes we're in the desert for our protection, for our personal protection. Think about that. Uh, We we land in the desert and we think, this is so unpleasant, and yet God is protecting us. How do I know that from Scripture? Where did Mary and Joseph go when Herod wanted to kill baby Jesus? They went into the desert, into Egypt. Egypt. They lived there until Herod died. It, it could not have been pleasant for them to travel with this little one all those miles, all by themselves, to a place where they didn't know anyone. In the sun, with the sand, all that, all that, all that subtropical desert stuff that's there. And yet God was protecting them from this king that wanted to kill Jesus. Sometimes we land in the desert because God is protecting us from some other set of events, from some other circumstances that, that would, would be um, terrible, difficult for us. Uh, um, oftentimes when we're in the desert, we pray, God, get me out of here. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. And if God has you in the desert to protect you, thank God that he doesn't answer those prayers that we pray, right? Thank God for unanswered prayers. Um, sometimes we land in the desert because God wants to just simply get our attention. There are so many distractions in our world. So many things that vie for our attention. So many things that we think about that we do. Um, and and God just needs to get our attention. It, it occurred to me, you know, uh, for three months, many of us were just diving into Scripture, reading Scripture. And we've been done now for about three months. And, and for some, you're feeling like, man, I just feel like I'm in a desert. And it's not really occurred to us that we've lost that contact with the voice of God through his word. Sometimes God needs, God allows us to be in the desert so that he can get our attention. Maybe you've quit praying. Maybe you've quit connections with your life group. God wants to get your attention and help you hear his voice again. Jonah didn't end up in a desert. He ended up in the belly of a great fish, right? But God got his attention in that moment and said, Jonah, you've got to listen up. You've got to do what I've called you to do. You've got to hear my voice. Deserts have a way of getting our attention, allowing us to focus our attention back on God. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Sometimes in the desert, in our pain, we hear God the clearest. Uh, Lowell McNaney, a, a Preacher at a church in North Carolina said, It's not usually the light that transforms us and causes us to live differently. It's heat and pain. Sometimes we may find ourselves living in the desert because we're going through a time of testing. That, that was true for the Israelites, they were punished, but for those 40 years, there was this consistent um, process during that time of God saying, here's what I want you to do, and the nation of Israel would say, uh, are we going to do that? Mm, I don't know. There was this testing that's going on. We, you know, in our culture, we kind of recoil at the idea that God would test us, right? Uh, that, that's, that seems really unpleasant, it seems unfair, God... Why would God test me? Doesn't he just know what's in my heart? Um, doesn't he, he just know who I am? And yet, in every other aspect of our lives, we accept testing as a minimum standard for the people that we interact with, right? Who wants to go be operated on by a surgeon that hasn't been tested? Right? Who wants to get on the road with a 16-year-old that hasn't not just been tested but has passed the test, right? (laughs) Right? Testing is a normal part of our life. Who wants to drive on a bridge that a structural engineer has not passed the requirements to be able to design that bridge? Testing is a part of our lives. Even, even when you think about people in the entertainment world, they go through a period of testing before they rise to a level of, of notoriety and whatever. They, they test their material on crowds that are in little podunk places to see if people will laugh. They, they, um, um, uh, major league athletes... Are tested at a different level before they get to the professional level. Testing is a normal part of life for us, and we expect that from others. We expect people to be tested before they're put into place to have areas of responsibility. It, it makes perfect sense for to recognize that God would test us to see if we actually believe if we actually live what we believe. Someone say Amen, please. That that, that it, uh, that's that's a hard concept, isn't it? Because we say, God, no, you know, I I don't I don't need to be tested. I'm good, and God says, you know what? Prove it. Sometimes we live in the desert so that God can test us. Sometimes we're in the desert because it's a time of preparation for us. God has something new in store for us. And we'll never get to the new until we get to the desert and let go of what the current is. Sometimes I think the desert is a place where our dreams die. And God grows a new dream in us in that place. It's a time of preparation. Uh, it, it's uh, so interesting to me, I mentioned uh, Paul when when uh, in Galatians one when it, it talks about his three years in the Arabian desert um, paul Paul was like the epitome of Jewish preparation to to you know to to uh, to serve and to lead the Jewish people he knew the law he was a he was a Pharisee of Pharisees he 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 was all that and a bag of chips in the Jewish world and and God called him to serve him, to submit his life to Jesus. And part of what it took was Saul, Paul being taken away, taken away from that visible stuff he did for three years and hanging out in the desert with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit helping connect dots for him. And I, th- I think Paul during that time was going, oh, I never saw that. It was a time of preparation for future ministry. Moses, Moses, when when uh, he kills the Egyptian and then flees to Midian, and he he goes, wrap your heads around this guy who is raised in the palace of one of the most powerful nations on earth. He's raised in that palace. He's got all of the education. He's got all the power. He's got all the stuff. He's got all of the affluence, everything. And in a moment when he kills this Egyptian who is a uh, who's, uh, who's uh, pushing on the Israelites, who's, who's uh, um, squashing them. When he kills that guy, and then ultimately Pharaoh finds out um, Moses has to flee to Midian. And all of the dreams that Moses would have had for his life, becoming Pharaoh, you know, be, be, becoming a part of the cabinet of Pharaoh, ruling this huge nation, he had to give all of that up. And for 40 years, God is out teaching him one day at a time what it means to serve, what it means to be humble, how to direct sheep. He's teaching him the lay of the land because Moses ultimately is going to lead the nation of 2 million people, more than that, through that same area for 40 years. It was a time of preparation. God knows for many of us when we're in the desert that he has something better for us on the other side. But we won't give up what we hold on to right now unless we experience the desert. Romans 8.28 says um, we know that in all things in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God will use the desert to prepare us to change us. He can take whatever difficulty we experience and use it for his good. We can trust him. God can even use deserts in our lives. Six different reasons that we just that I just went through for why we might be in the desert. Don't miss this. If you're in the desert right now or if you've been there in the past, you would not be in the desert if God did not want to use it for your good. You would not be in the desert if God didn't want to use that desert experience for your good because he had something better on the other side. Even in areas where it's because of our own sin, God wants the desert to cause us to repent and to get to something better on the other side. So what do you learn if you're in the desert? Um, there, there are a whole lot of things. Uh, again, in, in studying for this message, I, I don't know, I got probably 20 pages of notes. that Oh, I want to say that, I want to say what that. So, so many, there are so many things that we learn in the desert that we can learn in the desert. Servanthood, we can learn how to serve there. We can learn to trust that God really will provide, that he really does have a plan for us that God really does have us right where he wants us. We can learn in the desert to simply obey because we can't see past anything than that. We can learn patience in the desert. We can learn in the desert that we desperately need other people. We can't do it alone. You can't live in the desert by yourself effectively. In the desert, I think we can learn generosity. I think that we can learn to grieve broken dreams, dreams that we give up. But there are three things that I want to share with you that that I think are significant for the next few weeks, for us to wrap our brains around. Three, three things that we can learn in the desert. The first is this. Who are you really? You learn in the desert. Who you really are. When all of a sudden, all of the comfort is gone. All of the stuff is gone. All of the sometimes hope is gone. And you're just kind of fighting to survive. You find out who you really are. When Moses left Egypt, everything was stripped away from him. Everything was stripped away from him. Everything was taken. When Jesus escaped the crowds and went to the wilderness, went to the, to the dry places, to the, to the desolate places to pray with God, it was so that he could be who he really was. He could be away from the demands of other people. He could be away from the expectations of other people. He could be who God created him to be, and he could talk to God in that. In the desert, we can discover who we really are. When everything is gone, when all of the stuff is taken away, your money, your reputation, your health, your comfort, what's left, who you really are. The second thing, that we can learn in the desert is what really matters to you. What is it that I really do want to hold on to? What's important and what's not? You know, one of the things that I think is interesting, if you're in the desert, not very many people come to visit you there. Right? Oh, holiday vacation in the desert. And if you're in an emotional or spiritual desert, not very many people come to visit you. When you're struggling, when you feel like you're buried, not very many people are there. The desert is not the center of the universe. It's not the destination place for vacations. When you're in pain, when all of the stuff that you've counted on is gone, you find out what really matters to you. What is it that's significant? Is is it acquiring stuff? Stuff in the desert doesn't matter much. Keeping up with the Joneses, is, is it appearances what other people think of you? You know what? When you're in the desert, when you're struggling, you don't care at all what people think about you. You have to think about what really matters. It, when you're in the desert, it's, it doesn't matter a lot whether your child is on the travel soccer team. It doesn't matter whether you're comfortable. It doesn't matter that you get revenge when you're in the desert. What really matters to you? In that time of isolation, that time where you're connected just with God, all of a sudden, all of that stuff fades away and you say, okay, there are a few things that matter. My relationship with Jesus, my relationship with the people that I love the most. And that's about it, right? What really matters to you? my character, my integrity. The third thing that I think that we can learn in the desert is who God is really. Not, who we, not how we talk about God on Sunday mornings right now. Not, um, not how we perceive God in our affluence and our comfort, but who God is really. Is God really good no matter what? Does he really love me? regardless of whether I can perform or not. Are his mercies really tender? Is he really faithful, no matter what? Can I truly trust him? In the desert, we can learn who God is, really, without any of uh, the trappings. Mott Royden was a a woman in, the, in early 20th century England who, who preached at a time that, that just was crazy unusual, she said this, when you have nothing left but God, then you become aware that God is enough. God is with us in the desert. He sees us, he hears us, he answers. Even when we don't see that behavior by him, he's there shown himself. If God is with us in the promotions, he's also with us in in the demotions. If God is with us when we succeed, he's also with us when we fail. If God is with us when we're surrounded by people, he's with us when people abandon us. God has the ability to use the desert for your good and his glory over and over again. We want to be spared the pain that happens in the desert. And God has something much better in store for us. Pain's not bad if it changes us. It changes our behavior, changes our hearts. You know, it's interesting. Again, this is, this is, this is part of the struggle that we have as Americans at this time in history. We love our comfort, right? Right? So many people say, I don't want my kids to have to go through what I went through, right? Anybody ever said that? Shame on you. Um, (laughs) um, Right? We say, I don't want my kids to have to struggle. I don't want my kids to have to drive a car that I'm not really sure is safe. I I don't want my kids to have to struggle to get through college. I don't want my kids to have to go through all that pain. I don't want my kids to have to eat ramen noodles and baked beans for years on end. Anybody been there? Can I get an amen? Yep. (laughs) Understand this. You are who you are because you went through those desert times. And to deprive your kids of that is to damage them. They need to struggle. They need to experience desert. Now, you don't have to, you know, <laughs> you understand. <laughs> you don't have to pile on. But when we try, when we try and, and um, protect our children from any kind of struggles, it is not to their advantage. We need the deserts. Pain, desert times, shape who we are. Don't miss this, though. God does care about your comfort. He does care about your comfort. Otherwise, Jesus would not have said, I'm going to send you a comforter. He cares about your comfort. But the comfort comes in the midst of the pain, right? The comfort comes in the midst of the struggle. And he cares far more about your character than he does about your comfort cares more about what's inside than, than just what you're going through. Uh, James 1, real familiar passage, says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith, the desert times, produce perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The desert can teach us patience and faith, and trust, generosity, all kinds of stuff. But the desert can give us a new dependence, a new relationship with God, and that's what it's all about. Sometimes when we're in the desert, we think, where is God in this? Where is God in this? I can't hear him, I can't see him. Um, Erwin Lutzer, who was the senior pastor at Moody Bible Church for 26 years in, in Chicago, said, don't ever interpret the silence of God as the indifference of God. Don't ever let the, don't ever in, uh, interpret the silence of God as the indifference of God. The, the desert is not a penalty box. It's preparation for a new game. You know, it's to, it's to, it's to take you off the hockey rink and put you on the football field. Uh, it's uh, something different. In, a, in the desert, God has you exactly where he wants you. Because he has something better in store on the other side. It's interesting to me that Moses gets banished to the desert. And you know what God provides for him there? Besides sheep, he provides for him a wife and two sons. God knew where Moses was all that time. He had not abandoned him. Deuteronomy chapter 8 describes Moses talking to the nation of Israel as they're ready to go into the promised land after they've been in the desert for 40 years. Listen to what he says. Be careful to follow every command that I'm giving you today. So that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised and on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone on all the stuff of life, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Let me me give you just some quick conclusions, some quick applications as we finish today. If you're in a desert time in your life right now, three things. Take courage first. Recognize as hard as it is in the midst of the desert, recognize that God is there. Take courage. Second thing, keep your focus on God, not your circumstances. Take Take your eyes off the sand, off the heat, off that stuff, and recognize that God is there doing a work and he has something in store for you. Pray. Spend time in God's word. Hear his voice more clearly if you're in the desert. And the third thing is be open to the plans that God may have been preparing for you right now. God's got something, God's got something happening on the other side. Get ready for that. If you're not in a desert time in your life right now. Let me encourage you with these words. If you're not in the desert right now, dig your well deep. Dive into scripture. Dive into relationships that matter. Do the stuff that, be the person that God has called you to be. Dig your well deep because there will come a time that you will need to be able to draw on that water that that well provides when you're in the desert. The second thing is this. Don't abandon those who are in the desert. If you're not in the desert right now, don't abandon those who are there now. Here's here's how I want to close today. Oh, one last thing. One last thought. Yeah, you guys can come out. Uh, One last thought. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're in a desert this is the worst it will ever be for you. If you're a disciple of Jesus and you're living in the desert right now, this is as bad as it will ever get. Because when we die and go into the presence of Jesus, the desert's a distant memory. If you're not a disciple of Jesus and you're in a desert right now, this is as good as it will ever get. I hate to say that, but it's true because it all drives us to Jesus. Everything hinges on our relationship with Jesus. The ability to survive the desert, the ability to see the other side, the ability to have God do his work, it's all dependent on the work that Jesus is doing in us. Knowing him, following him, being committed to the things that he's committed to, his work. That's what it's about. It's all about Jesus. Um, here's, here's where I want to finish this morning. If... Um, If you have been in a desert before, and God has brought you through that, I I just want to encourage you to stand up right now and and to just, with your presence, just um, declare the goodness of God. That's very cool. Very cool. Now, you all sit down. If you're in a desert right now, can you bring the lights down? Um, If you're in a desert right now, would you stand up? because we want to pray for you. Uh, You don't have to say what it is. You don't have to say what's going on. It may be be relational. It may be financial. It may be health-wise. It may be spiritual. Um, Would those of you who were standing a little bit ago, would you just kind of gather around these people and put your hands on them and just pray for them? I want to take a couple minutes and do that. Find somebody and pray for them. God, the pain is real. The isolation, the loneliness, the hurt, the hopelessness, man, it's real. And yet we know that you're more real than any of that. God, I thank you for the testimony of people who have said you have been faithful over and over and over again. And right now we pray for for our brothers and sisters who are struggling right now who need a life preserver. God, help us to come alongside them. Help us to help them see your hand at work in the midst of their struggle and pain and desert, their wilderness time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Um, You know, I told you about our desert time, one of our desert times. When we moved to Missouri, and, and um, Deb, you can talk to her second service when she'll be here. Um, if you ask her, she would say those, year, those four years, they were the wilderness. I said to her this week, What did you learn? What did you learn in that process? And she said, How to actually love God. Not just an academic exercise, but how to really love him because he sustains through that time. We're going to sing a song that, that um, stylistically it's going to feel like it's a huge shift of gears. It's a fast song, but I want you to pay attention to the lyrics as we sing and to recognize that no matter what's going on, the call to praise him is what it's all about. Let's stand together. Let's sing.